0: I'm Liz Logan, and you're listening to Collecting Culture, a podcast about passionate collectors and the objects they love. Katie Hagley is a writer, editor, and compulsive zine maker who lives in Philadelphia. She's been involved with the zine community nationally for about a decade. She frequently teaches zine workshops and has even turned a room of her house into a zine reading room where she and her husband host events. Then there's a whole other side of Katie. She's a connoisseur of all things secondhand, everything from decor pieces to records to furniture. Just about everything she owns was found at a rummage sale, a yard sale, or a secondhand store. She began dressing in thrift store clothing when she was in high school and hasn't stopped since. Katie even wrote a book about how much secondhand shopping means to her. It's called White Elephants on Yard Sales, Relationships, and Finding What Was Missing. I talked to Katie first about the world of zines and then about her favorite aspects of secondhand shopping and the missing things she was searching for. So how did zines come about like why did this trend happen in the 90s it seems to me that it might be a a precursor of the whole self-publishing craze of the last decade um but what why did people start doing this
1: there people have different ways of describing the history of zines but the the what i what i see as the most it, it depends on how open you want to be to like defining what a zine is and then and then how far back you would go with it the word comes from fanzine which was a thing that people started doing like in the 30s and those were science fiction uh fanzines uh people published their own stories and stuff so that so there's that right and that was it was self-published and um distributed through the mail largely i think um, then in the seventies, and then there was like mimeograph stuff that like Allen Ginsburg and those guys did in the fifties and sixties. And they, that was self-publishing too. And they, they, they used mimeograph machines kind of before the photocopier came along to be like the inexpensive, easy, accessible thing. So they were doing that too. And then in the seventies when punk happened, there was the bands and there were the zines and photocopiers just as they are now were like everywhere and it was really inexpensive to make copies and that was like this revolution of of self-publishing of a kind and people made bands and then they made zines about the music and they, and then they and then it evolved into making zines about political things and about personal stuff and whatever so that actually continued that's that form of zine i i as far as i understand came to be in the seventies and never really went away. And then it blew up in the nineties again when a new wave of punk came again. And it was the riot girl thing because the, the young women doing riot girl punk bands also published zines. And it was a way of sharing their ideas in both formats. And it just birthed this whole movement of people writing on often highly personal topics and then publishing it. Um, And it's like, it's a, it's feminist and political and, um, and continues to this day. And people have continued, people never really stopped doing it. Uh, but it goes through waves of popularity and, and, and different waves of, um, being like in the public eye and being noticed by like maybe a, a, like a mainstream magazine will run a, will run a story about it. And then people notice it again and say, Oh, are people doing this again? Uh, so that's, that's like, it was really cool and really big and kind of important in the nineties when I was of an age to be receptive to, to it. And so like I, like I was saying, it was already in my mind before I ever, but I didn't, I didn't feel so moved to make one as a teenager, but a few years later
0: in my twenties I did. It seems to me it might even go back farther than the 30s, I mean, of just people creating, like, political pamphlets.
1: Well, right. So you can, like, go back to the the printing press, right? Like, it's as old as that. Yeah. Totally. Absolutely. And I always say that, like, when I do a zine workshop or something, especially with young people, like, because I know they've learned about Thomas Paine, I know they've learned about this stuff in school. We don't have to call those zines, and that's not what anyone called them then, but it's the same Thing you take the power of pr- uh, powers of production into your own hands and distribution too you write it, you publish it, you distribute it you there's no other you know gatekeeper so to say
0: i I am a bit of a, an aspiring zine collector myself um, and I just love it because it's so outside of the commercial sphere like you can tell. Obviously, these people are not doing this to make money. It's just like a labor of love. It kind of has like a very folksy outsider art kind of vibe.
1: Yes, absolutely. Oh, yeah. It's um, – they're as weird as people are weird. I mean, anything that you think of, you know, it it can be – it's a it's kind of an inherently democratic medium too, I like to say, because it's so inex it can be so inexpensive to make them. Um, you really can't if you're if you're working within the confines of black and white, something that's in black and white and can be photocopied, you can do you can actually do a whole lot with that in terms of um, size and shape and art and 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 the look of it. And and I've seen, I've seen a huge variety of stuff that people have done within that pretty limited sphere. Um, yeah, no, I it's I love them. I have a, I have a lot of zines too. Cause like now that I can't part with, the the secondhand stuff I'm not so precious about really. And you know I I enjoy acquiring it so much that I have to be willing to give it away too, or else I wouldn't be able to keep doing that. But the zines I cannot part with the zines. I love them, and I have hundreds of them, and I'm keeping them.
0: <laughs> are there particular zine authors or artists who you love? Oh, my gosh,
1: yeah. I have – oh, gee, let me think. I have a few – oh, my gosh. there's There are, like, classic zine writers who, are, who have been around and doing what they do for a really long time, and then there are people who I know – personally and i and and that's accounts for why i like what they do there's a woman named heather who writes a zine called dig deep and i think she's a really good writer she lives in chicago she's been doing it a long time um some of the writing you'll find in zines is as good as writing you'll find anywhere and that's the truth and artwork too um just like really talented people like expressing themselves in these ways and 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 some some of the stuff that's really special to me like I said, it's because, um, I know the person who makes it and I've met them through zines and like a, a lot of the, the zine friends I have are now pen pal friends. And so like the, the zines that they send me when they've written them get a little bit tangled up in my mind and in my memory with the letters they've written me. Cause they're not all that different. So it's, and it, cause it's personal in the same sort of way. The ones I like to read are really personal. I, I have a friend from New Jersey who does a, a zine called I love soda. And that's what it's about. It's about soda and how much she loves it. And she's always on a quest for like trying new kinds of sodas and regional sodas. And it's mostly, it's a lot of photographs and it's just, it's just, it's wonderful. Like to me, that's like, um, and she's a lovely woman. And, but that's, to me, that's the, um, the essence of, what's wonderful about zines. It can be that obscure and personal, but like personally
0: significant to the person who's doing it too. So then what's the best way to display a collection of zines? I almost wanna like open them to a page and frame them. It's really difficult. It's really difficult. I've talked to this,
1: talked to um, librarians, like real librarians about this and they have the same problem because If you have a collection you want to, you have to archive and protect them. Um, Oh, excuse me, archive and protect them, but also display them so that they're like appealing on the shelf. It's not like with books because they don't have spines. So if you line them up on the shelf, you there's nothing for you to see. Um, It's kind of hard to deal with. We have, I have had so many zines that, um, and it's it's kind of commonplace for people to donate their zine collection, like a large collection, to a university or public library that can like, be stewards of that collection. Um, I can't bring myself to part with mine, at least not yet, but I didn't want to be hoarding them. So we decided when we moved into this house, because um, a house is easier to, to do things like this with than an apartment is, um, to treat it as a quasi-public space. So we have the zines set up in our front room, And we host, like, readings and shows in our house. And we call it it the zine reading room. So people are invited to come and sit and read the zines. Um, And we've tried to display them in a variety of ways because we want, for the reason that you're saying, we want people to see them and uh, be drawn to picking them up because they're so visually interesting. You don't want them to just be, like, in a dusty pile. So we've got them. Some of them we have sitting in... um, like boxes that you can sort of sift through, like when you're looking through records in a crate and some are lined up on a shelf. Um, The smaller ones are stacked. It's a sort of a deep shelf and they're stacked facing outward. So at least you do see the front cover of, of, of the ones on the, on the front. And we rigged up this bookcase that I have in order to accomplish this. We just nailed a piece of plywood, a short piece of plywood, across the front of one shelf. You know what I mean? So we could, like, containerize the, the zines facing forward, and they wouldn't come falling forward. So that that works. It's not what you would do at, like, an academic library when archiving is your main goal, but it's, it works for us. Other people use um, those magazine holders, those cardboard magazine holders. And then like I used to do that too. And so like all of the zine titles beginning with the letter A are in this one and B, and I organized. at least at least when I wanted to look for something specific I knew where I, I, I could find it easily. But yeah, it's a challenge. It's a challenge displaying them. And I have put stuff in in frames before with like an art zine that I think is really beautiful. I put it in a frame or I've put it in a um one of those little like an easel you know, a little mini easel meant for displaying a small piece of art
0: because I want I want to look at it. In the second half of our conversation, Katie and I talked about her enduring love of yard sales, rummage sales, and all things secondhand. Your freelance work does allow you the very cool perk that you can go to yard sales, rummage sales during the day. Yes, it does. I do have that flexible schedule. You're right. So let's talk a little bit about, let's talk about your collecting and about your book that came out in 2012, which is White Elephants on Yard Sales Relationships and Finding What Was Missing. Uh yes. what do you love about collecting objects from the past or objects that people have previously owned?
1: Well, there's a lot that I love about it. And I think um I think I think what I love the the most isn't even collecting them, but finding them. And like that I don't know if that's a meaningful distinction to everybody, but um it's not it's not the having and keeping that are necessarily as significant to me as the experience of going and looking and the and the the and ha- at like the delightful surprise of finding something that you've never seen before and sometimes something that you you aren't quite sure what it is and maybe you have to ask an older person standing next to you what what it is you're looking at and and like yeah it's the fun that's that's what I love the most um that feeling of discovery because I don't I think there are different there are different kinds of collectors in in my mind and there are people who go looking for specific things um that sometimes really specific things because they're like completists in a way, and they and they want they want to they do want to build a collection and then and then possess that collection of things. And that's not my mindset. I just it's just it's the doing of it that is so pleasurable to me. I just never get tired of it of of just going and looking.
0: Yeah, I I agree. I totally agree. And. I find it so distracting. And when you talk about in your book that that your father had died and you were living with your mother and you and your mother were doing this together, I just, one thing that struck me is like, this must have been so pleasurable and its distraction, like its ability to take you away from something really sad.
1: Yeah. Well, right. That's exactly it. Like, it's um, like any activity that you really enjoy, like you were mentioning knitting earlier, Um, anything that's engrossing in a certain way takes you outside of your thoughts. And so it's, it's, um, it's relaxing. It's an escape. So for the, for as long as I'm digging through things and looking through them, uh, for years I did that with my mother. Now it's, it's a hobby that my husband and I share. Um, we, we're not, I'm not thinking about anything else. I'm not stressed out about anything else, you know, like any, like any activity that, like I say, is really engrossing. It it, it it gives me that. Yeah. Plus it opens my mind to all this other stuff that, that I can incorporate into my life,
0: new hobbies and new books and new ideas. And as you say, you're learning about these yeah. things that you haven't seen before. It seems to me like it's almost a little bit like going, like going to a museum. In fact, yes. there is an exhibit at a museum here in New York at the Jewish museum that's called "Take Me, I'm Yours." I'm not sure if you have heard of no, this. No. Um, you can actually take things from the exhibit. <gasps> like it's. Yeah. Maybe you need to come here and do this. I'm writing
1: it down. Okay. It down. Maybe
0: you need to come and we'll go do it together because I haven't been yet.
1: Oh, let's go. Yeah, and
0: it's about like the act of of collecting and and interacting with things really? and then being able to choose something and take it. I. Yeah, it sounds really awesome. Oh, sounds that's perfect such for us. Well, cool, I'm actually jealous. I didn't think of that as an exhibit idea. That is so neat. Yeah, I'm also really happy and and slightly envious uh, that your husband shares this hobby with you. <laughs> um, <laughs>
1: well, it's dangerous. <laughs> yeah, we both do it, and then we bring a lot of stuff home. Yes. So that's yeah you got to keep your eye on that
0: see my husband likes he'll go to some yard sales with me or some sales I think like the fact that it excites me so much kind of stresses him out because he 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 has more of a minimalist tendency and he he's very organized oh he's an industrial designer so he likes things very like clean and functional Uh and it that stresses me out a little bit i'm like i'm, I'm too disorganized
1: So I, I there are times when i when i do wish that that was that i was that i were like that i'm just not i've just accepted i'm not a minimalist and that's just the way it is and i get a lot of pleasure and, and real joy out of out of things and sounds like you do too but that aesthetic is is really oh <laughs> I have this fantasy that I don't expect to ever realize that one day I live in a house that's so big that one room, can, one room can be the empty room. Oh my <laughs> like, gosh. That is I a just, fantasy. Yes. It's a ridiculous fantasy, but I like, oh, I could just go in there and go, <sighs> not to say that my life is so chaotic because it, it isn't, but I, I'm drawn, I am drawn to that, that, that what you're
0: describing that minimalist thing. Oh, that's so interesting. Cause from all you're collecting, I, I would not think so, but I understand like being drawn to that, which is the, uh, like the other side. Yeah. Yeah. Other way of life.
1: I do think it's a thing to be managed. Like, um, like this particular desire that I like to indulge of, of looking through old things and bringing them home it's not it's not the cost associated with it because it hardly cost anything um right so on the one hand i i I used to give myself permission to get anything I wanted because like it didn't cost anything sometimes it, sometimes it, like I find stuff perfectly useful stuff that my neighbors are getting rid of it's free it's trash i I have brought trash home- because it's trash to them, but it's for me it's a new end table, right so price isn't the thing. But then you reach a point when you when it's like, okay, there has to be a different, there's a, a different limitation put on this because I can't just
0: live inside a thrift store. That's what it would turn into. I yes. Don't
1: want to so, yeah.
0: My family is very much a family of collectors and does not have a, has a very eclectic lifestyle full of stuff and is not minimalist, but I, I, I hope that my husband and I my my mom thinks it's good that my husband is kind of a minimalist because yeah. she's like that will like balance you. Yes. You two can like balance each other out. Yes. So,
1: I, I happen have, to think that's the ideal setup in in these romantic relationships, right? Like there's that you bring different things out of each other and create some kind of balance. Totally. That's, yeah, yeah. What yeah. kind of stuff do do, do do your parents collect? I just see, I didn't grow up with that really.
0: Well, oh my god, where to start? My father collects everything. Um, he collects um poetry broadsides, if you know oh, what those are. They're, I sure do. They're yeah. really beautiful. Um, that's Is just a poet? he was a poet. He was writing poetry pretty seriously for many years. I oh. he's not anymore, not so much anymore, at least. Um, and then he collects watches. He collects ties. Um, they're, they're vintage watches and antique watches. He collects Hawaiian shirts. Oh, nice. He collects um, cylinder players and Victrolas. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. And art books. He collects huh. art books and art really all manner of books. The man cannot get enough books. He collects CDs. I mean, huh, uh-huh, it is uh-huh. just, it's wild. He, oh no, I get that. He's Ooh, Mr. That, collector. Yeah.
1: Uh, see, and that's another, that's, this is making me remember another nice thing that I, that I treasure about going to the yard sales, yeah, church rummage sales, thrift stores, whatever, and meeting the other people who are into this. Cause they're always such interesting people. You I, people who are interested in in things are interesting people they know a lot about what whatever their particular interest is
0: and they they get excited about it and they want to tell you about it i like i like having conversations with those folks who's the most interesting is there like a person who stands out as the most interesting person you've ever met at one of these sales hmm
1: well there i have a lot of of really dear memories of of little friendly exchanges with people like that's so much of it is is about that for me i think um when i look at this stuff i've bought every time i look at it i remember the friendly conversation i had with someone about it but i um yeah there are a couple of memorable characters i met a woman at a thrift store not far from here like oh I don't know it was a year or so it was not too long ago and I was in the craft section of this store uh looking through yarn and and like embroidery floss and stuff because I like to do I like to do embroidery and um she was she was like collecting beads and sequins and stuff like that she was really friendly and chatty and we were talking and she told me about um These things she likes to make, I guess she makes a lot of different kinds of things, but this one thing in particular she likes to make because she worked in a hospital. I don't remember what she said her job was, but she worked in a hospital and she liked to decorate the lobby of this hospital with her art objects that she makes, which are embellished high heeled shoes, like pumps, like women's shoes. And she decorates with gems and all kinds of stuff. And I was like, "Huh, you know, like, okay." I thought that doesn't sound like the kind of thing that I would particularly want to have in my house, but that's cool. And then she showed me a picture of it, and it and it was beautiful. She sh- like showed me a couple of pictures of them that she had meticulously covered in gemstones and ribbons, and like made this statue out of a like a functional object. And it was the, it was like it was really cool. It was I that was a nice memory. She was an interesting person. That's um,
0: awesome. I yeah. want to. I want to look her up. I want to know who that is.
1: I know. I. I know. I didn't ask her name, so I, it might. It might be lost in the mists of time. But maybe. Maybe she has some pictures online, or may, she. She may well not be the only one doing this craft, but it was. It was like really elaborate and beautifully done. So they. They just look really cool. Um, I also remember meeting this guy, this older man who we had a long conversation with in, a, in another store that I really like that's got all these different rooms. And one of the rooms is the book room. I was hanging out in there looking at the books. And we found a um, – now here's something that my husband collects, um, self-published books that he finds secondhand. Because you you've, you come across a lot
0: of them. Um, and self-published- like on a particular topic or – no,
1: they, it's, I think it's most, I would say it's most often poetry because making poetry chapbooks is like a, sort of a time honored thing to self publish. It's different. It's different now. Um, people self publish all kinds of stuff cause you can do it more affordably with the digital, like on demand printing. Um, and he'll collect those too. But, um, we get the biggest kick out of these things and, and like, cause cause again, it's like the individuality of it, you know? Um, and we were looking through this book that was a book someone had self-published of uh, photographs of her dogs, which was a hoot, and it was really it was really charming to look through. And we got into this conversation with this man who was reminiscing about his mother in the in the '60s, dressing up their her little pet dogs in costumes and having photo <laughs> sessions with them. <laughs> These dogs in the book were not in costume, but it reminded him of his mother, and it was just a really charming. Conversation because he was of our ilk. He was somebody who like understood what we loved about this as a hobby. Like just going there and open your mind to this this weirdness, the weirdness of of ordinary people and their ideas and this and the stuff that they that they do and have done over the last like fifty years or whatever. That was that's a nice memory. Yeah,
0: I like that you then I assume you don't have that guy's name or info. No. Mm-mm. Yeah. See, I like that these people are very, are anonymous. Like we oh, don't yeah. know who the woman making the high heeled shoes was. We don't know who this, this man with his mother who loved the dog so much. It's, it's like that mystery of these are just characters who you sat next to on a bench or met in a thrift store once.
1: That's, That's an awesome. interesting thing to say. And yeah that is that's that's really interesting that because that's part of the pleasure of the the objects too is the mystery of it like you know it has a story you can feel some of the story when you look at it but you don't know you'll never get the whole story you don't know who it belonged to or what it meant to them or why it ended up being given away so it's like you get you just get these like little bits of information and then you get to make your own story out of
0: it You are very opinionated about the difference between yard sales, rummage sales, and estate sales. I sort of see you as this uh, connoisseur of objects from the past because you're so experienced with all these different environments. Tell me about the difference between those three things and what makes a good hunting ground.
1: I love rummage sales because it's like a yard sale, but it's a whole lot of different people's stuff, and they're
0: really inexpensive. So, and a lot of times, do you ever go to those? Oh yes, there's a church right. like right across the street from me that I love to go to. Their rummage sale,
1: it's the best thing, right? Especially they'll often do a bag sale, so you just like fill your bag, and they charge you a dollar or five dollars, or you know, some very. To me, it's touching on so many levels. One of which is that I have a hard time imagining how it can be worth their trouble to organize these because they must make so little money. But um, but it's it's like so much fun because you find these like arcane objects and stuff that people have clearly come out of the homes of like older people who have kept their clothing and stuff for a long time. Um, so I so there's that. It's, re- it's I've gotten stuff for next, you know, almost nothing and sales like that. Um
0: and then you don't really like estate sales.
1: I don't like estate sales very much.
0: The
1: the thing I like about those is that you get to go inside the house.
0: And that's really interesting. But the fact that sometimes you can sense that someone has died is a downer.
1: Yeah. It there's always some com- There's something complicated in the air. Uh, and sometimes it, it's, it's not, it, most often when it's an estate sale, someone has died. Not always. I went to it. One memorable one that was like being run by the, by the family. And it was really cheerful. I guess they were just moving, um, moving their maybe moving their older parents into a, it's like a retirement home or something. I didn't get the story, but that was the sense I got because it was cheerful. Often it's, it's, sad and and complicated. Well, the thing that I actually don't like about them is that they tend to be run by a company. Um, so like a person who does estate sales comes into the home of the person who's hired them and they, they, they evaluate everything and make a price for it and then they run it. And, and so it's got a very different atmosphere that's it's, it's like pretty salesy and it's a, I've, it, it often feels kind of crass to me and I don't care for it. I just don't like it. I, I I like, I do like being in the house though, because it's
0: fascinating to get to go inside someone's house. What are some other absolute favorite pieces that you found at yard sales or rummage sales or otherwise?
1: Oh gosh. There's so, there. Are, oh gosh. There's so many things that I treasure um, one of the best things I ever found was a record. Um, cause like, so I have a record player, which I only got so that I could play my dad's old records. Cause my mom was just going to get rid of them after he died. And 10 or 15 years ago, nobody wanted their old records anymore. So I would just, I just got them for really cheap. And I found one that was a Gladys Knight record. I don't remember what it was actually. I don't remember which album it was. But I bought it because the the person who had who had bought it originally many years earlier, like in the seventies, had taped I sort of saw this piece of paper inside, tucked inside where the record was, and I didn't want to make I didn't want to yank it out of there and look at it while it like while I was standing there at this um, I think it was a church sale. I seem to remember buying it from somebody who was not the owner of it. But I still didn't want to be, like, yanking it apart. Um, so I'm going to look at this when I get home, I thought. And when I when I opened it up, I saw that someone had taped on the inside uh, a little piece of notebook paper that was their review, their personal review of each song. But it was just, like, these one-word reviews. And they all said, every song said either the word, okay, the word great, or the words out of sight, <laughs> which is just the best thing I've ever seen. So I kept that record and I kept that piece of paper too.
0: And I still have those and will treasure them forever. Did you agree with that person's assessment of the songs?
1: I think so. I don't remember disagreeing too strongly, but I also like don't have really strong opinions about Gladys Knight. Generally, I liked the whole record. I remember liking all the songs. Um, I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. maybe I should sit down and and play them and like do my own my own uh, reviews and see how they compare <laughs> and then
0: give that record away so that someone else can find your reviews
1: <laughs> and just, yeah, and just tape them side by side and we could just could, like pass it around and everyone can agree, then we can come to a consensus on what the most out of sight track is on the whole record.
0: Exactly. I also love just the covers of records as like pieces of art. I'd like to frame some of them. Me too.
1: And like, sometimes I don't even do anything as formal as framing them, but I'll just display it, you know, like just put it in the front of my stack of records and standing up so you can see it. I found some great stuff over the years um and yeah like a lot of times sometimes I get like you know I'll get a record that I've heard as a classic and I feel like it's something I should investigate like a Joni Mitchell album or something that I, I end up not being all that interested in but um other times yeah it's just a, it's just an excuse to to try something new I'm just remembering I was just trying to look for this actually to see if I could find a picture of it a really beautiful record I found a Donna Summer record because I can't remember which album it is but it's so awesome because it's cut it's like die cut or whatever that's called so that the front cover of it is in in the shape of the outline of her hair and then you open the record up and, and look at it that way it's
0: just it's just great looking it, do you have certain ways of displaying the things you collect or uh, displays that you're particularly proud of that kind of let you enjoy these things?
1: I'd say the stuff, there's there's so so much of the stuff that I own that my husband and I both own is stuff that we found this way that it's, it's just throughout the house. Um, like I'm sitting here at my desk right now and I, I'm looking at a plate that I bought, like a decorative plate that I bought at a yard sale that is just covered in doodad, you know, decorative doodads of birds and flowers and curly cues and things. And then on the inside, in, like, very ornate lettering, it says, never underestimate the power of a woman. And I just, I love this thing. So, like, I have that, I always have that hanging by my desk because it feels appropriate that I should have it where I'm working. But I'm, uh, no, I mean, honestly, Liz, like, almost everything I own is secondhand. So it's just, it's, that's just what's in the house. Like, I will say I get a huge amount of pleasure when I, on any given day, when I get dressed and I look down and I can say truthfully that every single thing I'm wearing is something I bought secondhand. I mean, not, not my socks or, you know, but the top and the, and the pants and the shoes and the earrings And the jacket, like I, that pleases me so much. So I don't know if that that sort of counts as displaying things, I guess. Um, Yeah, but really it's looking around this room. It's a lot of,
0: a lot of old stuff. Katie's new book, which is called Cats I've Known, will be coming out in September And if you can't wait till then, she already has a cat zine available for purchase through her Etsy store. To learn more about Katie and her work, check out her website, thelalatheory.com. The music and editing for this podcast was provided by my co-producer, my brother, Andrew Logan. More of his work can be found at logansound.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love it if you'd subscribe, rate us in your podcast app of choice, and tell your friends. For more photos and details from this and our other episodes, visit CollectingCulturePodcast.com. Or show us your own collection by tagging Collecting Culture Podcast on Instagram. We'll be back next month with another collector.